This week on the ScrollerCast, the dark heart of Hijack City. A gas explosion rocks Johannesburg. Don't be a crybaby. Stage six is a short-term pain for long-term gain, says the president. We'll look at those stories and a host of others. I'm Jeremy Maggs. With me, political editor at Scroller, Zucchini Majova, and another 20 minutes or so of conversation about the state we're in, and we are in season two. So, Zucchini, let's get straight to it, if, if we can. Um, I did an interview today with the representative of a, of a non-profit organization that represents the interests of owners of buildings in the CBD of Johannesburg. And she said to me that there are somewhere between 300 and 500 buildings in the city that are either hijacked or the city simply has no idea who owns them because the owners have fled because they can't realize any value or income from the buildings. I had to ask her to repeat that number. <laughs> 500 buildings. Let's go to the top end. That just illustrates the state of decay and degradation that the city of Johannesburg, the city of gold, the city of opportunity finds itself in. Yeah, uh, 300. I, I, I thought that was an understatement because, yeah, it's estimated with uh, 500 to 600 buildings. Uh, in that situation. Look, this has been happening for years, Jeremy. I mean, it has been allowed to happen for years. You know, even the city's own buildings, you know, city inspectors come and say that this building is condemned and nothing happens. You know, no one makes sure that no one has got access to that building. And what happens to a condemned building? What is the next stage? You know, so you can imagine the frustration with the, with, with the private sector. The private sector cannot call JMPD and say, come and police our building. You know, so people just give up. And, and, and leave. There's a building that Scholar wrote about uh, 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 this, this week. You know, over 2,000 people are staying in that building. The police station in Yeovil, people have moved in on the police station and taken it over. What used to be jail cells, it's somebody's, it's somebody's place. It's been partitioned along the bathroom. Somebody claimed the bathroom is their house. It's madness. Is this a failure of city government? Is it a failure of law enforcement? Uh, I know the blame game has started. There is a so-called commission of inquiry that's now being set up. You know, whenever we have a problem in South Africa, first thing we do is set up a commission of inquiry. Um, you know, we've got no internet at the moment uh, in the place that we're recording this podcast. Why don't we set up a commission of inquiry <laughs> uh, to find out why? Uh, but it's a, it's a real problem. But we, we have to apportion responsibility here. That's the, that's the whole point kicking the can down the road, you know. I mean, they've been kicking this can down the road for many, many years. You know, the last time there was a proper audit of, of the state of affairs, Herman Mashaba was, was the mayor of Johannesburg, you know, and he was dealing with this issue of these buildings. And he was, he, he was taken out. Whatever plan that he developed, because it was done by the opposition, has been taken out. And it turns out that this government does not have a plan in place, you know. So... Yes, now now we have a commission. Funny enough, you hardly have budget for anything, but when there's a commission which is not funded, suddenly there's a budget to do it, you know, and I don't know whether the commission is going to be able to go and find out what started the fire, etc. The city has engineers, in theory. They should have engineers and specialist people who are able to check 
What was where was the fire started? What was the source of the fuel used, and what direction did it move? I mean, this is an investigation that should happen whenever there is a fire, and it and, and it looks like experts, people with experience, have been taken out of the city over the past few decades. Whether you're looking at the methane gas explosion that happened in Bree, now consultants from outside have been brought in to study what on earth happened there. But those kills should be with the city and they are not. And it's easy to do because there are any number of private forensic companies that could do that, I would imagine, in a week. My sense about commissions of inquiry is it buys political breathing space is that uh, it could take uh, a long time to get to the bottom of this, uh, at which point the news agenda has moved on to something else. We've got a new set of worries and issues to focus on. Uh, we are into an election year in 2024. So essentially, you're absolutely right, breathing space, it's the kicking of the can down the road strategy, which is, it's expedient. I understand that uh, why they do it politically, uh, it's 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 the card that you have to play, but it is also very shameful. But you've just reminded me, uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, we narrowly had another gas crisis uh, or gas fire crisis in the city of Johannesburg. There was a fire next to open gas lines that were being worked on. Fire uh, the fire was put out in about fifteen or twenty minutes. Mercifully, thank God, no one was injured. But again, it just is another indication of how quickly the city of Johannesburg is falling apart. Five people were injured, mm. and they mm. are in hospital. Yeah. This was yesterday. I mean, mercifully, no one lost. <laughs> mercifully, no one lost their life. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't think now, Jeremy, there's going to be a, a, anywhere to hide as far as what is going on in the city of Joburg is concerned, because the city is crumbling. Whether you're talking about cable theft, I mean. Now we're not talking about cable theft because it's a daily thing, you know. But whether you're looking at that, you're looking at substations that are burning, uh, transformers that are burning. In one township, they say over 70 transformers that used to be around are no longer there. And ESCOM has got to buy those and reinstall them. Premier Panyaza promised that he was going to get a lot of transformers to go to all the township around Gauteng before the elections. Everything has to happen before the elections. Obviously, it's people who are... Uh, not paying electricity, connecting to the transformers, overloading the transformers, and we keep replacing those transformers. The city is crumbling, Jeremy. There will be nowhere to hide as far as these particular stories are concerned. And and the most important thing is you have a mayor who comes from a 1% party who is not elected by anybody. How do you hold that person to account? You might have picked this up. I, I haven't seen it anywhere, but you still have big blue-chip organizations that are headquartered in the city of Johannesburg. ABSA is there. Uh, Standard Bank. Standard Bank. Uh, it has a, a big office in Rosebank, but it still is headquartered in the CBD, or at least a substantial portion of its offices there. First National Bank is there. Anglo-American long quit the city. But at some point, big organizations like that that have spent an enormous amount of money in the CBD are going to turn around and they're going to say enough is enough. And when that happens, that's the day in which the city of Johannesburg finally crumbles. Well, 
that has been happening. That has been happening. I mean, it's it's only a handful that are still around in, in the city of Joburg. You know, all of all of those big companies are leaving, and, and, and you can't blame them. If I had the misfortune of having to go to a bank that is in the CBD, I'm banking with APSA. I, you can imagine, <laughs> I would try and resist that with all the effort possible because I don't want to go to the city. I had a chuckle this week as we, as let, let's pivot away from this because I think we've said enough. <laughs> Uh, I had a chuckle this week when I saw the headline on Scroller about uh, the electricity minister uh, is a really good dancer, dancing the nation into stage six. As we speak, um, many areas uh, in the country are now 11 and a half hours without load shedding. We all know what the problem is that when the lights try to come back on, uh, often transformers or substations trip, means another two or three hours before electricity is stored. So sometimes people are going 15, 16, 17, 18 hours without electricity. It's an absolute disaster. Uh, President Ramaphosa, and I think Josiento Ramachopa, also saying uh, a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain. Uh, it's That is not good enough. But where did the dancing come in? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Minister of Electricity is such a likable guy. He's, he's a, very, he's a likable very character. Very, very you know, nice man. And I mean, he's a people's person. And unfortunately, on the day when uh, generating units were going to fail us, he was at an ANC event and he was captured there having a very good time. And it coincided with Stage 5 on a Sunday. You know, there was a time we didn't have load shedding on a weekend. To have stage five on a Sunday with all industries, mining and big firms closed, you know, basically you are begging to supply uh, electricity for, for household use, for cooking at home. You know, that's, that, that's, that was the reality of Sunday. And then on Monday you have stage six. And he was caught in this video. <laughs> and we circulated the video <laughs> wide and everything. It was, it, it, was such a, it was so unfortunate. But Zucchini, in fairness though, uh, and I'm not for one moment going to try to defend the process here but the argument is that there is a lot of planned maintenance happening uh, and that's the short-term pain that we're going to have to experience uh, that there has to be short-term maintenance uh, and that i think is exacerbating the load shedding that we're currently experiencing uh, if the promise is kept and it's going to ease things up in a couple of weeks uh, i'm prepared to take that one on the chin jeremy that is absolute nonsense you know, if you have Xi Jinping coming into your hood, you're not going to have load shedding. So now this load shedding has become a political thing. It's a political tool. That's the whole thing of not having a CEO who runs ESCOM. So I had Xi Jinping in my, in, in my hood a few weeks ago, and we didn't have load shedding. All we had was jet that's fighters they're, That's because they're running the diesel turbines at full speed at the cost of billions of rand to the economy. The Minister of Electricity is always on TV explaining why we are on stage six. Do we really care why technically, what are the technical breakdowns that have happened that have put us on stage six or do we want electricity? We want electricity. End of story. We don't care. We want electricity. I mean, a country like this with so much funding, we've just put 255 billion rand in the hands of ESCOM and we're still talking about load shedding and stage six at that. It's, it's unacceptable. Jeremy. There was also, and I didn't read the whole story, but there was a headline uh, on one of the other news websites uh, from the government of Mozambique asking why we haven't taken up the promise of electricity that President Ramaphosa said we were going to source from, uh, from that country. Who's sitting on their laurels? Who's not doing their job? Who's fast asleep at the wheel? 
Exactly. Precisely. Who's dancing us in, in, into <laughs> stage six? <laughs> Having said that, though, uh, let's re-reference the election next year. Um, President Ramaphosa confident of an outright majority for the ANC uh, because the opposition party, uh, the story said on the website, is in a mess. Um, I will ask you why the opposition is in a mess uh, and whether it's an outright majority or not to be seen. The, the, the sense is, though, whichever way this election goes next year, support for the ruling party is going to radically diminish. The way the, the, the wards are designed, we, we have a, a wall-to-wall type of setup. If you are going to win an election in this country, you've got to fight it wide by ward, village by village, town by town. Now, I'm coming... Branch f- by branch. Branch yeah. by branch. I'm mm. coming from Mount Frere, and we do not have a DA office. Uh, in my village or any other village, I don't see the DA representation in the wards. You don't see them unless there is an election. Now, the DA is no longer a small party. It's the official opposition. You know, whether we're talking about the funding that they get from IEC, the funding that they get uh, from uh, having a membership in parliament and all of that, they are supposed to have structures that are everywhere. You know, and it it can no longer be a, a party of a few, a party of a, a white people, etc. They need to go beyond that. So now, if you are in Mount so Frey, is it a lack of money, or is it a lack of will, or is it just plain political? I honestly don't understand. Or political it, naivety. It, 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 it's, you know, there is a lot of naivety that is involved. So somebody who's in Mount Frey, how are they going to vote for the DA? You know, and that is the confidence that uh, that uh, uh, President Ramaphosa was talking about. He was saying that the ANC has got the biggest reach. Even where they have lost, they continue to have structures. In, 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 in the Western Cape, they're seriously losing. They're not just Cape Town, but they continue to be a party that has structures in the Western Cape, seriously invested in getting there. And that's what the, op- the opposition is not doing that. IFP is so big So when you talk about structures, are you talking about a c- accelerated campaigning or are you talking about a physical presence 24-7? Jeremy, you have to have an office. Let's, let's say because, because of the way the government is crumbling, right? Somebody uh, is being beaten by, by their husband. You know, keep reporting to the police. The police not helping you anything. You get a court order, an, an order that, that doesn't help. You know, where do you go? You go to a political office or you go to the church. That's, that's, th- th- that's what happens in the village. You, either you go to the Inkosi's place, you go to the church and you complain to Mfundisi, Mfundisi is going to help you out, or you go to the office of the DA, the official opposition, and you knock there and say, I'm, I, I'm in this situation, I have children. Now, yeah. that is everyday politics, everyday community issues. Your tap has been closed. You don't have water. You don't have this. There is somewhere to knock at the door for, and get help. There is no such in many, many black towns. That's the issue. And that's where the confidence of the ANC comes from. That if, if this election, if we were to have a serious uh, um, high number of people coming to vote, the ANC thinks it can win. Let's stay with the president if we can. Um, it's not been a great week for him. So first of all, making the announcement that uh, about the Lady R report, um, saying that no weapons were loaded. We knew that anyway because the report had been leaked. Uh, but there's still a lot of questions about what was loaded. What was loaded. And there, were, there have been reports about saying, well, it might not have been weapons, but was it... Um, 
uh, was it cargo that could have been used in the manufacture of weapons? I know that that has been uh, floated by one one political party. Uh, so a lot of skepticism around Ramaphosa and that particular issue. Then uh, the some would say the ill-advised decision to go to Zimbabwe uh, for the inauguration of Amazon Monongagwa. Um, let's talk about Zim first. Should he have gone? He shouldn't have gone. He should have let probably the ANC go. I mean, Fikile was always excited, even <laughs> before there was an announcement of who was winning the election. You know, he should have just sent the ANC delegation. Just, just go. And, yes. and, and <laughs> the political relations between the ANC and ZANU-PF and all of that, and he just becomes busy. At the most, send the Deputy Minister of Foreign, Foreign Affairs. I wouldn't have even sent the Minister of Foreign Affairs for that, for that, for that matter, you know, in a situation like And many presidents across the continent didn't go. Decided not to go. Yeah. And it just gives, I mean, it's almost as though Ramaphosa is providing his critics with a stick to hit him. Um, exactly. Of, of, of more concern is, is, is are the pronouncements over the Lady R. Um, that issue has not gone away. They will keep digging. There will be a lot more digging up. That issue has not gone away. And, and, and I think um, uh, politically, some, somebody from the ANC who is saying that the U.S. ambassador must be kicked out of the country is actually playing with fire because the U.S. did not provide the intelligence uh, that they had on what actually happened on that day. They didn't send it to the commission that was investigating this Lady R issue. And, and, and you wonder why. Because I think the U.S. does not play short-term politics, mm -hmm. but... They know the goods. They've got the goods on Ramaphosa and the Ramaphosa government on exactly what happened there. And as we continue to fear that whatever was loaded on, on Lady R didn't go to Russia, it actually disappeared here in the continent. And Russia has got a lot of interest in the continent. And we do not want Africans being killed with South African bullets. We certainly don't. Um, let's finish on a more positive note. Um, let me take you back. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, just after the dawn of democracy in this country, do you remember the Rugby World Cup final, South Africa against uh, New Zealand? New Zealand. Um, I was. How, could, how can you forget John Alomo? Uh, he was a mountain of a man. Well, Poor James Small. <laughs> he was a mountain of a man. I was working for a local radio station at that point, and I was told that I could go and watch the final on the condition that I got back to the studio in time to host a sports program, whether we won or whether we lost. And I thought it was a fair deal. And I was uh, a fated guest in a box, and I had the most magnificent time. But just moments before Joel Stransky kicked that famous, famous drop, drop goal, goal, I had to leave the stadium oh. to get back to the studio, which was from Ellis Park all the way out to Santon. And I remember there was a driver waiting for me, and the trip from uh, from the stadium to to the studio took maybe five or six minutes because there was literally no one uh, on on the road at all. Got to the studio, obviously listening to it on the radio. Walked in, and uh, at that point we had we had won the trophy. That famous picture of Francois Pinar and Madiba holding the champion or the, holding the trophy aloft. I remember the first thing I did is I sat behind the console uh, and I just played Queen's We Are The Champions. And then we opened the lines and people started phoning. And I hosted a call-in program. Uh, it must have been five or six hours. And people got more and more drunk. 
uh, <laughs> more and more euphoric. And every time we needed a break, we just played Queen. We are the <laughs> champions. Uh, and so many years later, South Africa now the defending champions again uh, are in France for the 2023 version of the Rugby World Cup. It is a global spectacle. And I think at this point, having bored you all with a very long story, uh, let's talk to our executive producer, Toby Shapshak, um, because Toby and I know you, Zooks, are bigger rugby fans than I am. I'm a fan of occasion. Uh, I know that you are fans of, you're true fans of the sport. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm not exactly sure whether I will be watching every single match as the two of you probably will be. But Toby, before you tell us about how Scroll is going to cover this event, um, my friend, you must be excited. This I'm is your big I'm very moment. excited. You're taking yeah. me back. Have you that, paid your DSTV to subscription? To that drop goal, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I don't miss a single match. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, it looks like many South Africans are likely to, mi to miss oh, the Oh, because the DSTV, SABC thing. The DSTV, SABC thing. That's outrageous. You know, and a lot of people have been watching delayed live because of the SABC thing. It, it is depressing. How it, can it they is seriously, not reach seriously an agreement? Depressing. What, what, what's the re do we know the reason for this? Well, it, it, it's money. They are going to reach a deal, Jeremy, at the, at at the, the last hour, moment. They will. And yeah. SABC is complaining that when that deal is reached, they won't be able to monetize on it, etc., yeah. because all the deals are done, etc., etc. You know, hopefully the nation will watch it, even if they, 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 the game starts 30 minutes after the live one has started. Oh, at least I'm sure Fekili and Balula will be have watching. something to say. He'll have something to do with it. Well, hopefully Zizi Kodo, the Minister of Sport, will, will have something to do with it. Toby, how, yes, Toby. how are we going to, how is Scrolla covering this? Wall to wall, Jeremy, um, as you know, and, and I probably can't say this, I am rugby beep. And so is everyone else in my family. And we are going to be watching every game. But I don't think everybody's quite as obsessed with the sport as, as Zukile and I. So... What we've started doing is a bunch of profiles of all the key players. We'll obviously cover all of them and where they are. But we also have something of a coup in that we have the great Andy Capistanu, arguably the best rugby commentator in the country, writing for us every week, previews on a Friday and an analysis on a Monday. And he is just a, a brilliant writer. So Zakila and I, of course, are going to try and rank the players and you know, debate who played best and who did what. Uh, but Scrollers really a, uh, a passionate crew of rugby fans and we hope to get that through. There's also a very good competition. I'd be in trouble if I didn't mention that. You can play our Super Brew pool on the Super Brew app. Uh, the grand prize is a 65-inch Samsung television, uh, but the other prize is a DSTV Extra view decoder and um springbok rugby jerseys and signed copies of of the rassi biography so a very good uh lineup of stories and things so let me ask you then in conclusion uh, and toby while you're there won't you just put the ipad on again uh, let's take our audience behind the scenes I, I need to do the closeout as we say in the business do you think we can bring it home i hope we can bring it home you know, I'm as much as I want to watch. I live, I live alone. I'm going to be watching it alone at home. 
I hope to find. I suspect a you'll be watching it a lot with Toby. But anyway, I really want yeah. to find a fan park. Well, one of these big corporates must host a fan park, probably FNB. You know, I want to go there and just get the feel of it. You know, or, or uh, some nice bar. You know, just get the feel of it, especially when we're winning. You know, and th there's nothing like that. Nothing like a nice bar. Yeah. All right. Are we done? I think we're done, everybody. That's this week's Scroller Cast. Uh, good luck to the box. Thanks for listening. Toby Shapshak, you've just heard him. He's our executive producer. And uh, Hans Baumgarten, the poor man, is our technical director who's going to have to edit all of this. Uh, if you like the conversation, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. There is more content daily on scroller.africa. From Jeremy and Zucchini. Cheers. Cheers.